The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Elder P, P Nate, Wetsy, Raj Mahal, living the dream here. Living the dream indeed. It's uh, it's good to be recording with you again, Chris. Good to be out here. I know we're on a bit more of a time crunch today. It might be a shorter episode, but uh, we're we're getting it in. That's commitment. That's commitment. <laughs> the two biggest things that we hear about the, I hear about the podcast all the time. Can I tell you what they are? Yeah. Is one everybody's just like you just need more content. You need to do the podcast more often. I hear that quite frequently, which is kind yeah, of shocking yeah. but it's a good thing yeah. and the second one is that this happens all the time people are like oh man i love your guys's podcast and i'm like awesome which episode did you listen to and it's always one that i'm not on so it's always <laughs> like oh it was the, it was the interview with bon Tennant. and i'm like oh i wasn't on that one then yeah. i was like what else and they were like oh it was the uh, um the interview with the liberty coalition guy and i'm like oh uh, i wasn't on that one either like who you, are you and they're just like have you listened to any that like i was on and they're like no and i'm like oh Okay, well, have a great day. Yeah. Um, Thanks for that. Thanks for that. That's, oh, that's funny. Uh, it's I just only, one of those things. Yeah. You're more than welcome to do a bunch of interviews, Chris. I just happen to be a little bit more proactive in doing these things. Yes, yes, you are. I'm just riding you. I, I'm, um, I just think it's hilarious. It's yeah, like, that it's is funny. funny. Yeah. Um, we have been very blessed by having good guests. And uh, and more, most recently, non-tenant was, uh, was a gentleman. He was awesome. It was uh, a lot of fun. We're actually, I'm actually hoping to get him on to do another one on, uh, on kind of biblical cosmology and angels and and fallen angels and Nephilim and I all that fun I, stuff. I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and be told that it was the best episode ever. Oh man. Okay. So last week we talked a little bit about uh, controversy and uh, one of the controversies being whether or not Christians ought to engage in cancel culture and cancel songs by Hillsong and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, you're more than welcome to go back and go free. But since we like making enemies, evidently <laughs> we really don't, but, uh, but we do like saying what we believe and, and I actually like the fact that sometimes we poke our reform friends in the eye and sometimes we poke the other, like, cause a lot of reform podcasts you can get on and just kind of high five each other for being so reformed. I think it's good sometimes when we equally offend everybody. Yeah. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, so I, I do know there's a segment of people who every time we call ourselves reformed, they get mad cause we're Baptists. So they're just like, it's like, you're not even really reformed. I'm like, just keep reforming there. They're my paleo Baptist yeah, exactly. friend. Just keep reforming. Just keep Semper refer- we should, we should make that a shirt. Uh, like just, just keep, go further. Just keep reforming and, so uh, and you'll get so our, good. Yeah. Anyway. So we're, uh, we're, we're Pascal Deneau, the <laughs> distinctiveness of Baptist covenant theology there. We, I just we should say, get him so, on the podcast. I should. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, uh, he's he's speaking at a conference uh, relatively soon. I'll fill you in off air. We're doing admin on air. That's not no, good. Yeah, that's, that's not good. Not good. Um, Gary Demar. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about Gary Demar. So here's the thing. 
I want to start off by simply saying that I love and respect Gary DeMar. He's really been helpful for me in the formation of a lot of my understanding of the prophetic passages of Scripture. I think I understand Daniel very well because of him. I think I, I understand the Olivet Discourse primarily because of him. Uh, he's been helpful in, in interpreting Revelation. I mean, he is, he is phenomenal. He's a great Bible scholar. So I don't want anything that we're going to say to, to throw any sort of disrespect or shade at Gary. Maybe you're listening to this and you don't even know what's going on. So let me describe, first of all, what's going on, I guess. Gary DeMar has a couple of podcasts, actually, and a couple outlets for teaching. And he runs American Vision, which has been a helpful ministry. Several, I guess, months ago now, he was making some comments on his podcast, asking questions, really, asking questions about uh, biblical interpretation and the questions he was asking seemed to lead in a full preterist trajectory. And again, for those of you who are listening who might not understand these terms, let me just tell you that whenever you come to a prophetic passage of Scripture, something that is predictive in nature, something about that will take place in the future, you have to ask yourself the question, is this prediction something that is still in my future, or it was merely in the future of the author, but it's in my past, right? So there are several ways to interpret biblical patterns. There, there are those, I think, who come to prophetic passages in a futurist understanding. In a sense, what that means is they just look at every prophetic passage as something that will take place in their future. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually called this chronological snobbery. It's the, it's the belief that our generation is always the most powerful, most important generation. It's why he would say every Christian generation since the dawn of time has thought that they were living in the end times, right? Whereas I would consider myself, and Chris would as well, a, a partial preterist. Preterist just means past fulfillment. And we call ourselves partial because what we would say is that much of the biblical prophecy has already come to pass. So when we come to Matthew 24, uh, Mark 13, uh, Luke 21, which is the Olivet Discourse in each of the Synoptic Gospels, we believe that that Olivet Discourse, talking about the sun not giving its light, stars falling from the sky, you know, angels gathering the elect from the four corners of the earth, like all, all that cataclysmic kind of stuff. We actually, abomination. abomination of desolation, the Son of Man coming on clouds of glory. We actually believe that all took place in 70 AD or leading up to 70 AD in the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and, and primarily, just for anybody who may not never have heard that, I actually have some teaching out. It's on the Rebel YouTube channel. It's Eschatology 101. And the first, I think, two episodes, I go through the Olivet Discourse, kind of verse by verse, and just talk about that. But it all really boils down to verse 36 there that says, you know, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So however we understand the Son of Man coming on clouds of glory, we must understand it given that Jesus gives us a time indicator that this generation, meaning the, the, the disciples to whom he's talking, won't pass away until this happens. So he couldn't have been talking about his second coming unless he's, he was wrong about the timing, in which case he'd be a false prophet and that would be a problem. So anyway, partial preterism would take much of the prophecy of the New Testament and again, I, that Eschatology 101, it goes through Revelation afterwards. I happen to think that the first basically 19 chapters of the book of Revelation have already taken place, took place primarily in, in 70 AD, and even Revelation 20, some of that has been fulfilled, and there's still a future that doesn't hence, start until kind of Revelation partial, 20. Like. Hence, partial, partial preterism. We still, even partial preterists like us, we believe that Christ will return again physically, bodily, to this earth. 
We do believe that there is a resurrection of the dead, a resurrection of the just and the unjust to judgment, either those who are found to be in Christ or those who are found to be outside of Christ and therefore are thrown with the devil and his angels into the lake of fire. Actually, I don't know where you stand on this, but uh, I still believe in a, a, a future final rebellion, right? I, I read that into uh, halfway through Revelation 20. Yeah, I think not to back up the parables about the birds and the nests. And yeah, things yeah. Like, to me, that will be there. I think um, the kingdom is the whole tree, yeah, yeah. the, the birds of the air. Exactly. Nests the so branches, I actually yeah. think very similar to the picture that we see in the Old Testament after Babel, when God disinherited the nations, yeah. he left one nation that was his. He did a remnant. I think the reverse is going to happen in Revelation where there's going to be an entire globe of Christian nations with one that's a remnant of, of oh, the enemy because that's the reversal, right? So, oh, um, and so like, and that nation I think will be in open rebellion against the rest. Okay. Um, that's fair. We, we, we should talk about that sometime. I, cause I, I see it more as the world has been become Christianized. The world, the world has been won by the gospel. It's true that Jesus is the savior of the world. Right. But that doesn't mean 100% regeneration and that there are still those who uh, haven't been regenerated, though they live in the blessing of a Christendom, yeah, yeah. and that those are then gathered, you know, as yeah. when Satan is loosed and, after a thousand years. But I, I basically think the same thing. I'm just not sure if it's going to be they're going to get drawn into one nation for that final oh, right, rebellion right. or if the nation is kind of like they're a secret, like kind of like the uh, invisible church in the visible church kind of the idea where there's mm-hmm. like the, 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 the invisible Satanists. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the uh, unelect, like yeah. Yeah, hiding in, in my, 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 um, Fair enough. Anyway, that's a anyway, whole different yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, a bunch of people are just like, well, now I have more questions. <laughs> like now I want to yeah. know. But anyway, all that to say, so full preterism denies that there, that we are awaiting any prophetic yeah. understanding. Right. And so when Gary DeMar is asking questions full, about full preterism denies the second coming final judgment, the resurrection of the dead, like, right. All, that everything in scripture has happened. There is nothing that's left to be fulfilled at all. Right, absolutely. So here's what I will say about the whole Gary DeMar controversy. So Gary DeMar started asking some questions in his podcast that seemed to lead his listeners toward an, a full preterist understanding. But he never answered the question. He never said that he was full preterist. He never did any of that stuff. So anyway, all that to say, why we're wading into this controversy is not to weigh whether or not Gary DeMar should be put under church discipline or any of that kind of stuff. Gary DeMar doesn't know us. Like we aren't, we aren't, yeah, we aren't involved in relationship with him. We aren't his elders. So what we want to do is how should Christians think through this? We do want to categorically deny that full preterism is within the scope of orthodoxy. I do think that if you deny final judgment, final resurrection, and the physical bodily return of Christ, I think that you are throwing out too many obvious passages of Scripture to be considered within the realm of orthodoxy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But what we're not saying is that then Gary DeMar is is unorthodox because he actually hasn't come out and clarified his position. So this whole letter writing thing that happened where people wrote him letters, there's some donor or yeah, some of American Vision supporters and donors and things like that. Some of the people who've done ministry with him, who have gospel partnerships with uh, American Vision, just wrote to him to ask him to clarify his position. And I think that's fair. I think they should, right? I, I, I wouldn't want to give to a ministry if there's ambiguity and, and on whether or not they're orthodox. So he was asking some questions that seem to lead in a troubling trajectory. But here's what, what we kind of want to talk about. I think that we ought to be slow to throw out the heresy card for people who have proven themselves faithful, all right? 
So it's one thing when we are dealing with the Benny Hins of the world, right? The Kenneth Copelands of the world who have been charlatans for a long time. Yeah, you have to be faithful first. Before right. we, exactly. We like, Good point. So. Right. So you even look at a guy like Bruxy Cavey, right? Bruxy Cavey was in Ontario for a long time doing his thing. And, and there, we were troubled by, you know, even just the tagline church for people who aren't into church and stuff like that. It just seems problematic. Early on, he was just saying, oh, here's another example. Rob Bell. I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but Rob Bell's a good one, right? He comes out with the book Velvet Elvis, and he starts asking some questions, right? And the trajectory of his questions seemed to lead to troubling areas. But Rob Bell, I mean, a lot of those NUMA videos, they might have had some bad theology, but they weren't generally, like, unorthodox. They weren't bad, right? And slowly, Rob Bell kind of showed his colors, And he did, I think, love wins when you start to embrace universal salvation and and deny, again, eternal conscious torment and hell and things like that. You start to prove yourself to be outside of the camp. I think similarly with Bruxy Cavey, right, slowly as he was actually asked point-blank questions, as he began to deny penal substitutionary atonement, as he made a third way for people who identified as gay Christians, well, suddenly now you're starting to see where his heart truly was. And I would say we were comfortable calling him a false teacher a while back. And I think that was actually vindicated when all of this secret sexual sin came out, right? That had been being covered up for years. I say all that to say we ought not to shy away from calling false teachers false teachers or heretics heretics. But I think we have to be very, very sure before we begin to throw out that term, right? And you and I actually got into this with some of our, again, seems like we... We poke people in the eyes on both sides, I guess. But some of our reformed friends got, I would say, maybe upset with us because we defended some of the guys like David Platt, right? Like David Platt, who seems to have really embraced some woke ideologies. He's embraced CRT and some of that stuff. Uh, Matt Chandler, I think, who was faithful for a long time. He had that controversy where he stepped down. I actually think on a side note, he handled that very, very well. But yeah. Piper, you get some of this stuff. So you look at some of these people who I think really lost their marbles during COVID, but cracks in the foundation were shown as CRT started to work its way through the Southern Baptist Convention. So you look at some of that stuff, but like we have a lot of people in our reformed circles who the minute, the minute somebody says something that seems to be leftist or seems to be woke or seems to be something about critical race, it's like, immediately label them as a heretic and cancel them. And I just think that's a wrong posture. Now, I might get myself in trouble here because I actually haven't been following David Platt for a number of years, but I know he was like your boy, so I'm, I'm sure you can correct me if I'm wrong. But like David Platt, I believe, is a regenerate guy. He loves Jesus. He loves missions. He loves the church. Is he wrong on a couple things? Yeah, absolutely. Would I go to his church? Probably not right now. But can I still recommend the book Radical to people? Can I still show him some of those like amazing sermons that we watched him do at that at T4G before T4G <laughs> kind of went off the rails a little bit? Yeah. Like, I think we can. I don't think we need to be, just like we were talking about last week, I don't think we need to live our lives in fear of being tainted by the association of people who believe wrong things. Yeah. For me, the issue comes down on, it's like, and I think the internet is part of the the blame yes, here. Yes, I that totally like, agree with that. Even guys that we would hundreds of years later affirm their ministry, we don't know their week to week struggles that they had in terms of like batting heads with the other people in the in the faith. So, but I do know a couple of examples. So Jonathan Edwards, now in our camp at least, is a patriarch. We love him. He's he's almost universally celebrated, but he was univer- almost universally hated for a long time, to the point he got fired. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he tried to do stuff with membership and, and things like that in his in his congregation. Charles Spurgeon, 
he was always at war with the rest of the church. And partly we would look back on that and vindicate him to say he was right in these areas. But there were a lot of guys who were within the the cool kid camps at that time who were canceling Charles Spurgeon. You yep. know what I mean? Like, and it's like, no, no, sometimes play, like we are playing chess, not checkers in terms of even just with each other. You know what I mean? That idea. And so I think we need, I think we need to like, Remember, I think we almost need to tell ourselves we have to we have to convince ourselves that people aren't all good and are, are aren't all bad, and it also means that like we have to recognize that in ourselves. So like I often make the joke to Heather and about us being like, well, I don't know where we're wrong, but we're probably wrong somewhere. Yeah, a lot of our you friends sure. are going to be like they're like <laughs> baptism, but like I think we're right there. So like it's one of those things where I'm like, there is an area of our theology that we're either slightly just off course on or we haven't gone to the fullest extent of what we're thinking or just our application of how this is supposed to play out is wrong and i, I would say the same thing for doug wilson who we affirm almost universally jeff durbin who we affirm almost universally james white throw out the names when we come to a guy like gary demar who has conservatively 40 years of great yeah. ministry under yeah. helpful ministry don't quote me on this but i think i recall listening to a interview at some point where Doug Wilson actually, I think credits him for his partial being, preterism. Yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say post-millennialism. So yeah, like it probably one of, the, one of the two, but like, and that's a guy who's then influenced a number of people into yeah. the, into this camp. So I think it's very dangerous for us to, even if Gary DeMar has gone off the rails on this issue, which if he is a full preterist, I would say he has gone off the rails on this issue and there's worrying things yeah. about that. But to, then all of a sudden, therefore, a cancel his entire life of ministry would yeah. be ridiculous. And then two, like maybe we should give him the benefit of the doubt and like wait until we're sure. And you brought up Bruxy Cavey. That's a really good example because we were pretty involved in him being fired from Heritage. I'm sure they wouldn't credit us, but like the pressure that <laughs> no, came up because of it. Um, yeah. uh, was it Tyndale? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Before we went public about Bruxy Cavey with Eric and, and, and Jacob and whatnot, there were many things that happened behind the scenes to get to that point in terms of like checking his teaching, going through. Oh man, like, Eric spent countless hours and as he calls it, the outhouse. Exactly. And then we even reached out to his church to say, can yeah. he come and physically talk to us? And they said no. And then they went and talked to another charlatan. Um, so, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, wow. They don't yeah. listen anymore. <laughs> no, um, but like before that happened, we tried to, we tried to play that game. And so my, my point is to the, all the, guys who have no access to Gary DeMar. Because, like, let's be honest, there's very few people who are actually going to be able to have the conversation publicly, yep. but are still canceling him, writing him off, telling, telling their churches or not. Like, we need you need to be very slow to do that. Like, because, one, we just simply don't know what yeah. he, where he's landing. Because we need to be secure enough in our ministries to be able to be asked questions and to ask questions. And so the only thing I've heard so far, and I've actually done a little bit of research, is Gary Jamar just is asking the questions, is our theology based solely on sola scriptura? Right. Or is it based on creeds and confessions, which aren't right. aren't scripture, even though they are, I, I would say the Apostles' Creed is still true. And, yeah. like, and that's kind of what the question he's asking is like, if you just read scripture, is it not saying this? Or are we putting in a presupposition to make it say, and like, I'm not saying I haven't listened to the the following up he might where he might have clarified that, but that's all I've heard him say is all I've heard him say is ask, asking a question, and I think it's a weird question to ask, and I, I'm concerned about where the question's coming from, 
But my, my thing with that is simply, are we not secure enough to have those questions asked about our yeah. thoughts and our beliefs? And if we're not, then we are the weaker brother. And that's my problem is that yeah. we're, it's and, a whole bunch of betas. And, let, and let's be honest, if you cling so tightly, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm probably going to say that this is probably going to get us in trouble too. If you cling so tightly to the Apostles' Creed or the Westminster Confession of Faith. Or the 1689. Or the whatever, 1689, that you aren't willing to throw it out if you can be convinced by Holy Scripture that it's false then you have an idol in your life. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So now, do I think that the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus is very easily proven by Scripture? Yes, absolutely. Everybody from, you could go to Job with this, you go to Martha talking about Lazarus, that he, she will see him on the final day of resurrection. Like, there's so many places in Scripture that you can go. You can go like Jesus did with the Sadducees, go back to Genesis, Right? or uh, Exodus and Moses talking to God in the burning bush. Am I not God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of whom were in the grave at the time? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, right? This is how Jesus proved to the Sadducees that there'd be a final resurrection. So anyway, all that to say, yes, full preterism, we believe, is outside the realm of orthodoxy. But Gary DeMar has not labeled himself as a full preterist yet. He hasn't clarified his, his beliefs yet. So we should be slow to throw him under the bus in that direction. If you are a donor of American Vision, I would simply be emailing him and asking. Just email. You probably have access to emails that I don't because you get their monthly newsletters or whatever. Respond and just say, hey, I need to know this because I need to know what, what I'm supporting. If they don't get back to you, yeah, of course, pull your support for sure. If they're not willing to answer your questions as a supporter, pull your support. You should do that. There is such pride in the guy who wants to be the first out of the box to claim on the internet, to say on his social media, yeah, he's a heretic. And let's be honest enough with ourselves to know that it, a lot of this is driven by pride who, of people who want to be able to say, I was the first one to say it. I told you so. I said, I saw it first. Right? That's just pride. I, I never liked that guy. Yeah, I never liked yeah, that guy. Like right? That's just, it's just straight up pride. And if that's you, if, if you desire that, you know in your heart of hearts that that's what you want, you want to be recognized as the guy you saw it first, I would just say you need to put that, that pride to death because God will not honor you as a teacher or as a discernment blogger or whatever you want to call it if that's your sole motivation. If you are after pride, the Bible is very, very clear. A haughty look comes before destruction, a pride before a fall. You are going to fall. You are going to be destroyed under the supernatural opposition of God because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen. It's funny, we ended up talking about cancel culture again. Yeah. Um, um, and it's like one of those things, it's just, it's just such an evil that needs, it to, is, that yeah. needs to be thrown out. But I, I was thinking like while you were talking, I was thinking about like, we actually have examples of not doing this in scripture. And so I, I obviously, I, I think I bring up Apollos all the time. I don't know yeah, why you Apollos. You love Apollos. Is, I th I feel he's like your he's favorite apostle. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just made a claim out there. I Somebody's going to cancel you because uh, I, Apollos I is your wrote, I do think you wrote Hebrews. You um, are so wrong about that one. Martin, that's Luther, okay. Martin Luther thought he wrote Hebrews I, too. Yeah, I'm with Martin Luther on that one. Yeah, he also um, believed in the uh, perpetual virginity of Mary, so you pick your friends better. I'm just in a feisty mood. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nate woke up and chose violence. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. But no, that, that's there's an example of a guy who we originally say see needing to be corrected. Yeah, pulled aside. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, by women, corrected, and then later, Paul makes the statement that he's useful and he and he should it could be used and he's being used mightily in, in right. the church to and the I point think, where he's compared to Paul exactly right? and there, and to the point where there's like somewhat of a reasonable debate that he wrote a book of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, you know it's I mean? reasonable. I was but just teasing. I'll, you. Here's a better example, Mark. 
Yeah. So Paul sends him away. He cancels him. Yeah. And then later we see he comes back and he's useful to Paul. Yeah, near the and end of his life, right, when Paul is writing 2 Timothy, which is probably the last letter he ever wrote where his death is imminent and he knows what's coming yes. and he's thinking through his life and he's thinking through unconfessed sin, what does he say to Timothy? He literally uses the exact phrase that he uses when he says he wasn't useful to him in ministry and so he sent him away. What does he say? Send him to me. He's useful to me in my ministry. It sounds, it sounds, I don't know we're inferring something here, but it sounds, it sure sounds like either he had a desire or conviction to reconcile or that reconciliation had happened. Mark also wrote one of the books of the yeah, Bible. Yeah, so I, he's yeah. clearly useful. You know what I mean? So like, like yeah. obviously. The idea there is that like in today's culture, if, if, if Apollos was saying what, I have no idea what Apollos was saying, but he got pulled away and corrected a lot of our people today would just write him off forever and he That's was right. dead to them yeah. forever. That's right. Timothy, or sorry, Mark, would have been dead to us forever. That's right. Yet later we see that they actually go on and do great things. Yeah. I'm looking forward to in glory hearing the stories that we don't know about what yeah. Thomas, who, you know, everything we kind of read about Thomas kind of sucks. Doubting like, Thomas. Like, we call him Doubting Thomas. Like, poor guy. Because, because <laughs> exactly. yeah, I think what you're about to say is that you look in church history, nobody went further than the go- with the gospel than Thomas of, of all the apostles. He went, he went the furthest into Asia, planted numerous churches that still trace their history back to Thomas. Exactly. And Thomas did the very thing Gary DeMar is accused of doing right now. He's denying the resurrection. Like, Ooh, like Thomas was take, like, hot he, take. Is. <laughs> Thomas is like, what does he say? Right. He says, unless I see and touch the holes, yeah. I don't believe it. Yeah. And it's like, well, Obviously, we know that did happen because, right. but it's like we're very quick to say that Gary Demar yeah. and or anybody who's doing this is outside yeah. the realm. When so that we actually, see this. It, that actually brings up a good point because let's just say that Gary Demar is struggling with full preterism, right? Let's just say, and I, I say struggling because that would be a sin. It would be a sin for him to move in that direction. Absolutely. It would it would set him outside of the the realm of orthodox. Yeah. There's doctrine. other questions yeah. to be asked at that point, right? Like, then, yeah, exactly. So even at that point, let's just say he comes out and says, "Yeah, I, I, I'm convinced of full preterism." You know what your job is there, Christian? Not to make a Facebook post about how you saw it first or how you knew it or how evil full preterism is or any that kind of stuff. Your job at that point is to pray that the brothers around Gary DeMar can bring him back into the faith. Like our, our desire is not to point the finger and watch a guy go down in flames. Our desire ought to be to see a useful Bible scholar like Gary DeMar to be restored to faith. So if in fact, we're not saying he is, if in fact he's fallen into full preterism, your job is to pray. If you know of anybody who has you know, his ear or whatever, call him to repentance, pray for his repentance. Don't glory in his demise, right? Absolutely. And this is, I think we see this again, that exact principle in scripture, the sons of thunder, what do they turn and say? Let me call, let me call down fire, like fire and lightning on this, on this town. And what does Jesus say? He's like, you don't know what spirit you're asking me to do this. And I think, I think we, we apply church discipline. And when people step outside the realms of orthodoxy, with that same spirit that the th- Sons of Thunder did, like in that idea, of we, we, we don't actually want to see reconciliation. Yeah. To Gary. We just want drama and we, uh, want, we, we want, want to see punishment. We, we want, want to see, uh, we, want to take vengeance we, in our own. we, we kind of glory in having somebody fall from grace. This is like, no. truth is this is Hollywood. This is, it is, this yeah. is how, this is how our Western culture lives. has been shaped by, this is the reason why doesn't matter who is in power in our country. What, if, whether they're a good ruler, a bad ruler or in the States or whatever, this is why SNL and everybody else makes fun of whoever's in power, regardless if they're good or not. 
because we like to see somebody rise all the way to the top and then we love to tear them down. And so like, I'm liking this to the, to the Gary DeMar situation because we're the, the Christian, we do the exact, this is exactly the same thing. Mm. Gary DeMar has risen to fame yeah. in Christianity and now we get it now. Now when I say we, I don't mean us, but I yeah. mean like now people get a chance to watch him crumble and tear him down. Like it was shocking to me when Ravi Zachariah, who yeah. totally different scenario in my opinion, because like there's, but even now even that, like, like I remember, I remember very early on being asked by several people about what's going on with Rabbi Zacharias, and I remember very early on fighting the temptation because, like, my stomach begins to turn when I see leaders involved in sexual sin, and there's some personal reasons for that, and what yeah. I've seen in my own family. But beyond that, I just I remember uh, the guy who mentioned me, Mike Wilkins, saying that no pastor ever has an excuse to commit adultery, not only because it's a sin and no Christian should do it, but because we work most intimately with people and we see the devastation that it wrought yes. on families and on children and on generations. And so we, above all else, ought to see how heinous this particular sin is. So my stomach turns and my blood starts to boil when I hear of that stuff. But, but I remember having to fight off the temptation of just wanting to throw him under the bus because at the time there was some accusations, but there wasn't a full investigation. We didn't know. And I'm not saying we had to defend people to the bitter end. What I'm saying is that when somebody asks you about what's going on with Gary DeMar, your answer should be, I don't know. Let's find out what he says. Like, let's pray for clarity. Let's hope that he's more clear. Like, it is still gossip and slander for us to come and be like, hey, so what's going on with this situation? Even though we're not connected to Gary DeMar because we're just reveling in the drama. So as Christians, we ought to talk less, pray more. And let's be honest, guys like Gary DeMar, they need our prayers because the more public your ministry is, and he's he's gained a lot of credit because he's discipled a whole generation of influential leaders now, right? There's guys, the Jeff Durbins of the world, the Toby Sumters of the world, the Chocolate Knoxes of the world, they call him Uncle Gary for a reason, right? And so he's gaining some notoriety, and that's a hard place to be because that, that just means you're under more attack from the enemy, and we're all sinful people who who can fall. And so regardless of where his theology is headed or what where he lands, he needs needs our prayer and, and he also just needs a mature body of believers who if he is in fact an error are calling him to repentance and praying for his restoration rather than looking at how many likes their facebook post gets that flames him amen that's a good final word i don't think we need to add anything all right we'll come back with maybe more controversy next week <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we've poked the bear a couple times we woke up and chose violence today. yeah like, let's, so. let's do something on like god's love <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time.